welcome to the Undead Wookiee podcast, episode 77, Highlander from 1986. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I am your host as always, Hugh Lloyd, and before we introduce our very, very special co-host for this episode... Let's check out the trailer for Highlander. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. I am Connor McCloud. back ladies and gentlemen and i am joined by the one the only auteur master of the macabre the one the only mj dixon how the devil are you sir hello how are you nice <laughs> back. that was quite an intro yeah you gotta you gotta, gotta get it going on you yeah yeah i mean i'll i'll accept it i, I don't know how accurate <laughs> it is but i'll uh, i'll take it oh man how are things uh yeah yeah they're all right they're all right yeah <laughs> and uh, i love the way that we're... i'll be as diplomatic as i can be they're, gr- they're fantastic because we've not had any discussion before we've started recording <laughs> thank you man for being on i know you were incredibly busy at the moment uh, I so we are here now we talked last time uh you were on about one you know about your major influences and highlander came up uh in that list it's- and um i love i love the film um ever since i was about i think i saw it when i was about eight or nine and it's just like it was just like wow this is just this is incredible i can't believe this is not winning oscars um this is just the greatest film ever made um and then you sort of watch it again as you get a bit older and like okay this is this is this is still good i'm still loving it but i went back and watched it last night um Oh wow! I just forgot how good it is, and how much fun, and how incredible this film looks. Incredible! It just it looks fantastic. Yeah, like it's it's hard to describe. Um, like the way it's shot is like it's almost like mind blowing because you then go. Oh, hang on, like, when was this made? Like, 86. This was 86, 1986. And it has so many, like, modern conventions in it that we really take for granted now. Absolutely. That just 
weren't really in films as as, as a standard thing then. You know, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure they came from somewhere, but I really really struggled to think of films that were shot as and the word I want to use is shot as dynamically as yes. Highlanders shot. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> The, the 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 film that comes to mind really is um, <clears throat> there's odd moments in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think when you think of yeah that film, you think of it as kind of very kind of like documentary esque almost, and yeah, very gritty and but it's not. It's full of like very flowing movements that yeah. kind of like um, that kind of um, make it feel like it had they have more money than you know than they had and Highlander kind of is obviously it's not a low budget film by any standard no, but no. it has a lot of that stuff to it that you know that we kind of take for granted now i think yeah um, absolutely and i think one of the things that sort of I think it's something that did sort of possibly, conf- you know, confuse audiences because I don't, you know, looking at it, like I said, it's, it's a very, very modern film. It's a very, very modern film in the way that it's shot, in the way that it feels, um, you know, the fact that the story is non-linear and, you know, it jumps back and forth. My wife had never seen it. She had never oh, seen Highlander. Um, my wife feels like she wishes she'd never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and there were times where she was going, what, what? Why is there wrestling at the beginning? Is this a wrestling film? Have you got me watching a wrestling movie? I was like, no, but the fabulous Freebirds are in the ring. So, you know, bit of respect now, please. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> but, you know, like I said, this was shot in 1986. Um, it was directed by Russell McKay. Uh, written I'm by... glad you said it because I've never known how to say that name. And yeah. I was, that, that was a bit I was panicking about. I was like, am I going to have to say his name first? I'm going with McKay. M- Mulcahy, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going with that. Um, it's got, um, written by uh, Greg Winden. Um, Gregory Winden, sorry, and Peter Bellwood. Um, of course, it stars Christopher Lambert um, as Connor McLeod, Sean Connery as Ramirez, Clancy Brown, who is amazing. He yes. is amazing well, as, I, as Kurgan. I, I learned something yesterday. This is purely by chance, like um, because it's one of these things where I always think I know everything about Highlander. Yeah. I know it. And then I read last night, um, purely by chance, like. You know, ten facts about Highlander came yeah. up on my um, my Facebook feed, and I thought, oh, excellent! I always like to, yeah. you know, go through these. And I thought, oh, I'm very apt with the obviously with the interview we're doing to, to, to today. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a skim through it, and um, I read that Gregory Wyden, who wrote it, the film, yeah, wrote it as um, a, as um, he was asked to write a full length screenplay for his um for his university degree. Yeah. Um, and um, he kind of boshed out this film Highlander. Yeah. And his um, his professors thought it was so good that they basically sent it out to like a bunch of agents that they knew yeah. and said, look, like you've got to try and get this made. And that's where it came from. Wow. It was like a random movie that this guy just kind of wrote because he had to, to complete his degree. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so, I, like, that was like one of these little things that I just did not know about. Oh, see, like, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. You got Roxanne Hart in it. Um, uh, I'm going to say Betty Edney. Uh, you got Alan North. I love Alan North. I love Alan North. I think he's a great character actor. He plays Lieutenant Frank Moran. And the only difficulty I had with him playing a detective is, of course, 
he was in the original TV series of Police Squad with Leslie Nielsen. Oh, yeah. And there is that moment, because he's pretty much dressed almost the same as well, where you just expect Frank Drebin to appear whenever he was, whenever he was like talking. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. I, I really love, I mean, love in quotation marks, um, the uh, the homophobic cop uh, yeah. called Garfield. <laughs> yes. Like, my God, like, we used to quote that scene constantly when we were kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. man, I can't. I mean, it like by today's standards, it's just too offensive. Oh, the, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. you know. The, like, I mean, well, you know, when we like honestly, when we were kids, like that scene was like it was just so out of the blue. Where you from, Nash? Lots of different places. Yeah, like <laughs> just fucking um, honestly, it's just incredible. Like it, it's such a strange film, though. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, like the other actors who pop up in this. You've got um, uh, John Polito, who pops up in this. A very thin John Polito, um, who put on a lot of weight uh, later on in his career. He's no longer with us, but of course he was in Miller's Crossing. Um, he was, you know, he, he just appears as that sort of... St- he was in The Crow. Uh, he's in The Big Lebowski. Uh, you know, he's, in, he's just a wonderful character actor. He's almost unrecognisable in this. Almost unrecognized, and then you get the fantastic James Cosmo pops up as Angus, who uh, yes. Pisa's Celt to the first time he went into the battle. It's just, just like, and then the Christopher Lambert's amazing attempts at a Scottish, <laughs> a Scottish accent. Uh, I think, my only, goodness, yeah, I think the only my... time he nails his Scottish accent, mind you, is where he's in the stocks. And, and he, they're, all, yeah. they're all giving him a kick in, and he says, "Can you can you get out of here?" He's all bloody well run, which is great. I would sound more yeah, brummy, it's brummy it's then, amazing. but like um, that's the time he nails it. Like it's him trying to say lass and stuff. Yeah, and Jackson, I'll always look after you, lass. Yeah, <laughs> you can... lassie, come yeah. here. <laughs> Who's I see, woman? <laughs> well, this, this he's is... brilliant. Oh, Honestly, he's... he's just yeah. And um, he didn't I mean, speak I English, think... did he? No, Lambert. well, this he is it. Yeah, English. so he'd just done Greystoke, Legend of Tarzan. Yes. Uh, and that had been like a huge hit. So the studio, who had originally wanted Kurt Russell, but um, I can't remember, because he was married to Goldie Horn at the yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, his girlfriend at the time, I'm assuming it's Goldie Horn, uh, talked him out of him. Um, she said it sounded stupid, <laughs> which I mean. On paper, she's probably not wrong. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of, like, the plot for this, you essentially have an immortal Scottish Scottish swordsman who has to fight um, this... I I mean, is he Russian, the Kurgan? Some some Russian knight uh, who's all over... It's supposed to be, like, some kind of, like, ancient Viking evil, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. um, I think that's what he's supposed to be. He's, he's like... um, you know, he feels like a for- like he's kind of like a force of nature. Yeah, I always get, I always get the impression that he's like, um, he was like some kind of like Viking or something like yeah. that, or even further back, you know, like a caveman or yeah. something like that. Yeah. You know, and he's just fought through the ages um, to, you to know, and this is what he's been doing for for centuries, kind of thing. Uh, um, yeah, so you have got these group of immortal people with uh, running around New York, lopping heads off. Um, and you can imagine Kurt Russell probably sort of possibly eyeing it up because I would imagine he would have, you know, I think he could have played Conor McLeod. Be very interesting yeah. to see him do an accent. 
Well, it was just after um, Escape from New York. Uh, New York, yeah. 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 So uh, I think they thought, suddenly they thought of him as like a proper action hero. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would have been a very different film, I think. Oh, um, I can't see it being a bad film. Um, but I think, um, yeah, they cast Lambert because he was huge in um, this Greystoke Legend yeah. of Tottenham, which seems yeah. strange now that that's such like a weird film that kind of yeah. never really became a cult classic. But no. at the time, it was like the biggest film in the world, you know, for that yeah. for, for, for a few months. And um, they cast him because he was considered to be the next big hot thing because he he put in such a great performance. But of course, the producers hired him, thinking, "Oh, this guy's going to be great. Everyone's talking about him." Yeah. But they never watched this bloody film, no. so he turns <laughs> up, and what pe- what they didn't realise is in Greystoke he doesn't speak a word. No, no, he's got like three lines. He's got three lines in the entire. For the rest of him is him going, "Oh." Which is so he just... turns up on Highlander and he's he only speaks French. <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit. Like, you know, and we've cast him as a Scotsman slash American slash, you know. <laughs> like, only in the 80s could you have got away with that. Yes. And I mean, I, it is the testament to the power of cocaine, how certain films are made. Yeah, absolutely. You what baffles me more... Is they went right. So this is a film with like a heavy Scottish influence called The Highlander. Yeah, we've cast a French guy as a Scotsman. Now we need to cast somebody as a, a, a Japanese, Spanish, Egyptian, Egyptian. Uh, you know, cons- conquistador. Yeah, character. <laughs> yeah. Who shall we get? Sean Connery, possibly the most famous Scottish person <laughs> on earth. <laughs> And I gotta be honest with you, I, I Sean Connery's amazing in this. Oh yeah, He's absolutely like, brilliant in it. But the casting is like backwards. As oh, it's insane! Any... It's insane. But like they only had Connery for seven days on this. Yeah, Which and apparently nuts. they weren't allowed to ask him about James Bond. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, to be fair, I think to be, you know, I think in fairness to him, he's probably spent the last god knows how many years talking about Bond. Yeah. Um, but there was one of the things that I, you know, sort of doing the research and looking at this is everybody had a, such a good time on set. The crew yeah. and everybody was so tight. They actually shot lots of the extra stuff for free. So, wow. um, like the scenes where um, you see him rescuing um, the little girl and the, the the secretary seats, the crew did that for free. Wow. And like um, Connery got on so well with the director, um, because he's he, he can't he has been known for being a little bit tetchy at times. Well, I did hear that at first he would get the cast and crew together at the end of the day and tell them all what they were doing wrong. Yeah, um, and it like really pissed everyone off. And they said after the first day when he watched the rushes, yeah. he suddenly stopped doing that. Yeah, like um, so that was like. Yeah. I, I, I like that he got brought back down to earth a little bit. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And it's like that, you know, I mean, he did stick, was it um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Didn't he stick the head head in um, into the director when they had a big falling out on set? They had a big punch up and he head butted the director. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, that certainly sounds like the Sean Connery I know. Yeah, it's sort of, a, they had a big bust up and he stuck the head in the director. Um, 
which is that that's a pretty tense moment, I think, on set. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you'd almost be impressed if Sean Connery not could do that. Again. Oh, God, Jim. Yeah. What like, a claim oh, to fame. Thank you. Yeah. It's like a story oh, I'll be able to tell forever. Look, I'm, I'm already down. Could you just give my crotch a bit of a kick? That would be amazing. Oh, give me a give me a witty one liner. Yeah, <laughs> you know, give me James Bond quickly. <laughs> Say that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Come on, please, please. But like he's um, like I said, he appears in this, and I, what I love about that, his costume reappears then in like um, the like Christopher Lambert's like personal collection of antiques. In the yeah. background, you see his hat and his jacket is there and things. It's just it's really, really cool. It is a really cool film. Uh, and it looks expensive the whole time you're going like, like, because you definitely feel like films of that time just didn't didn't look that as expensive as this film does. Yeah. And I mean, this didn't do well at the box office. This Which is, I, you know what? You can understand why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it cost nineteen million to make in nineteen eighty six money, so that's you know that's a fair bit of coin. Yeah, that's that that's that's a Terminator Dark Fate right there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too much money and not enough back. <laughs> and then like it made twelve point nine million, and then it sort of it went on to become more of a cult hit on sort of VHS. Yeah, well, um, I mean it was huge on VHS, so wasn't it? Yeah. The amount of releases they did was just. just baffling. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. However, that artwork. Um, for that VHS cover where it's got like the Kurgan in the gra- in the glass in the oh, back. Right. So yeah. Oh, that is just—it's stunning. It's absolutely <clears throat> stunning. Well, when I grew up, the edition that you could buy at the time was this bloody awful picture of like Christopher Lambert stood in a kilt, like a photograph. From yeah, himself. yeah. I was like, and that's the only copy you could buy. So you really had to go rooting through, like you know, kind of uh, secondhand shops and video shops and stuff for for that that original artwork. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but man, is it is that a better release? Like... Oh, yeah, yeah. The um, and what I love, what I'd love to see it get one of those like proper old school sort of. I know that there's a Blu-ray edition out there that's that's okay. That's that, it's got a good transfer and good good extras and things. But like, get a get that cover back on the front of it. Oh, well, I'd like an Arrow edition. I yeah, think, absolutely. you know, with some documentary stuff and um, some booklets and. Yeah, and all that stuff, and a nice cardboard box going around it. Yeah, That's I'm not being funny. They did it for fucking Zardos, which yeah, is, you exactly. know, you know, which is Connery essentially in a mankini. So I think <laughs> I don't know how he pulled it off, but he somehow did. I well, wasn't. It was, it was a different time when men were men, <laughs> and they could wear mankinis yeah. and boots, little booties. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like the campus puss in boots ever. Um, but it's like one of the things that struck me all instantly was the way in which this was filmed, and like the scene where they're in at the right at the beginning, where they're at Madison Square Garden, where he's clearly been drawn there is to to fight the the, the first sort of guy that you see there. Um, which strangely enough, that bloke who played um, oh, is it Fazil? Fazil, yeah. I was like, I'm searching my. I can remember the line, but I couldn't remember the the yeah. guy's name. He was a sand person in Star Wars. No. Yeah, he played a stunt. He's a stunt guy. He is, but he was a He played a sand person in uh, Star Wars. Um, but like that scene where the camera is like flying around the stadium was one of the first times that they used um, sort of computer guided sort of uh, cameras on wires and things. 
So very, very similar to what you see now at all the football matches, and the, particularly like at the Millennium Stadium where they get the camera, the overhead camera that zips. Yeah. Across. It was the first time that that was really used. It's and, that's, and it's an amazing scene. And it's sort of how they intercut that with like a Highland battle. Is... Oh, well, this is what I'm talking about in terms of the boldness of it. Those transitions where it goes up through like the sea. Yeah, and I was going to come into that, that. And then it comes out in like, you know, the Highlands of Scotland. And you just, it's baffling how like to conceive that at yeah. the time must have yeah. been fairly, you know, um, <clears throat> fairly difficult. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, and the whole film's full of like strange stuff like that, yeah. you know. Um, <clears throat> and it, the the cinematography on it is like so like slick and modern. Yeah, I think compared to a lot of films that were being made at the time. Yeah. Um, well, you know, was, and that's Jerry um, Fisher was the cinematographer of this, and Tony and, Mitchell, uh, one of my favourite cinematographers of all time. Like he's just someone else like um he also worked on famously um the exorcist 3 which um oh, and like easily the best in that, that series of films uh, i think massively massively overlooked um but his cinematography is like one of the reasons for that i think yeah um, yeah i mean for me like the exorcist is my all-time favorite film all bro, time. really oh, it's like my citizen kane I think it's perfect. I honestly, I think. It, I, I mean, I, I really love it. I think Exorcist Three has a couple of things that edge it out, but the the book the, is really good. Yeah, I've never see. I've never read the book. <gasps> the book is um, really good, and more of an exploration of. Um, it's more of a character explanation, exploration, exploration, yeah. like a straight up sort of exorcist film, and it's that idea that you got this. You got this detective who is sort of. You you kind of get the sense that he's almost he's worn down throughout. It's absolutely superb, and George C. Scott in the film, mind you, is brilliant. Is brilliant, and of course you get the famous Shea scene, don't you, with the nurse? Yeah, and, well, this oh. is what I mean. Like, and, and I think if you'd had any other cinematographer, that never would have worked. Yeah, yeah. And I think <clears throat> it's a bold move that shouldn't have paid off. Oh yeah, and it truly does. And I think when you look at Highlander. And then realise that that's the same guy. You instantly you go, oh, well, that's why that works. You know yeah. what I mean? Like um, when it cuts to the statue instantly, and it's just oh. the timing of it and everything, and the way that it's composed, and yeah. it's just like, and that. But that, I think that's why it's my favourite in that series of films. Yeah. I think is because it's just so well put together. And whilst I love the first one, I think that. I I'm all, all, I always support the underdog a little bit, I think, yeah. as well. So I feel yeah. like Exodus 3 doesn't quite get the love it deserves. And so it, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be someone's favourite. I'll take that. I'll take that. Brad Dorf yeah. uh, in it is superb. Oh, yeah. He's, I'm a boy. He's, he's superb in everything. Wonderful. He's just a what I love him in Deadwood. He's wonderful in Deadwood. I he is as, as the is that, that's the Western. Yeah, team. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen. Ah, oh, he's superb. But he's he, he's he plays like the the surgeon. He's absolutely br- but he's it's like watch it. He's he's still quite scary, even though he's not trying to be. He's, yeah. he's still got that sort of look about him where you just think. I well, really... he, have you ever seen his um, his daughter act? Yes. Um, like it's weird because she's. I mean, she's a great actress. Yeah. Every so often. You just see his face. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, it's um, in the Chucky films. It's, yeah. Uh, I think 
where it's most apparent because obviously you hear his voice quite often yeah. and then she'll come in and start talking and you'll go, ah, ah. Oh, ha, oh, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> um, now, yeah. this film, I mean, coming back to Highlander, I mean, it just sort of, and even the light in this, everything is just, it's is just, you get the streaming of light that comes in through these moments. You get, um, you get these, what, these, awesome like sort of um everywhere's a little bit misty and a little bit steamy i don't know why i'm doing this with my hand when i'm you saying misty and st- I, I can do some sound effects yes there we go <laughs> <laughs> it's like this little bit misty it's a little bit steamy new york looks really dirty all the time yes yeah. absolutely filthy well i mean, during I mean the that's 80s. one of my favorite aspects of it is how they treat new york is they treat it kind of Kind of like in the very similar way that uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Lard treated it in the Ninja Turtles comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They treated like this kind of gross. Yeah. Um, kind of like you know, like I don't know how to describe it, like a world of its own kind of thing. Yes. Um, it like it's like a fantasy world. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. she's walking home that night, and you know the Kurgan attacks. Um, yeah. And he rescues her. It's like. It's like a comic book. Yeah. Like, uh, it's all very contrasty and, you know, like, uh, kind of bright light from the steam. And yeah, yeah. Kind of shafts of solid blue coming in. And it's just... Yeah. Absolutely. And the camera work in that bit as well, just... It's 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 a one... It is... It's incredibly... It's incredibly well shot. And, I mean, one of the things that I absolutely love about that scene is that, that you know, the amount of metal bars that are just lying around oh yeah yeah well i mean everybody knows if you're in new york and you get attacked you only need to look to your left or right <laughs> to find a metal bar to defend yourself with it's uh they're installed around the city as standard this is it's sort of instead of defibrillators being around they, they've they've installed metal bars just in case you're attacked with a mortal with a broad an immortal with with a broadsword it's the bit i always forget about in the film is um, there's like a weird subplot with like a vet, like a PTSD suffering veteran? <clears throat> yeah, two of them randomly fighting in an alleyway. Yes, <clears throat> um, and he just starts trying to shoot them up. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think yeah, he shoots up the Kurgan. Yeah, is that, is that right? After yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, the guy. Essentially, this guy <clears throat> is like a survival. And like they, they sort of the, with the police after he's been sort of skewered. Because the Kurgan at one point like stabs him and then just lifts him and holds him up in the air on his sword and then like flicks him as if he's like like something off his fork into the wall and like but however but before he does that because he's fighting because um, he's fighting another immortal who he is I, was got... like, I, 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 I always think I wonder what he does for the what is that doing for the plot I mean I guess it's setting up that there were other immortals but yeah I feel yeah. like we already kind of know that yeah and um, like. The other immortal's got like this, like sort of almost like feather type coat type thing on. Yeah, he's like I can't remember what he's supposed to be um, a reference to, really. Yeah, uh, and he's a friend of of, of McLeod's. Yeah, they, they meet, meet earlier, yeah. I think, in the film, don't they? And then it's get... a weird subplot that really doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, other than the cool point that it shows the Kurgan being shot with an Uzi. Yeah, I think that that's what it's there for, I guess. And then you get one of my favourite moments where he steals the car. From the elderly oh, couple, God. and he like slices the roof off, pulls the guy out, and then uh, he says, "Hello, mom." And oh, then he's like, 
driving the car and she's like hanging on to the window. Yeah. <laughs> and like it draws her and like the skirt is up over her head. It's just brilliant. Oh, that, that's probably one of the best bits. And I mean, the, uh, that leads me on to one of the best elements about the film, really, I think. Um, and I think that bit is where it all comes to fruition is yeah. the soundtrack um, by Queen. Yeah. Uh, so they released it as as their own album. Yeah, uh, kind of magic. Yeah, it it didn't get it wasn't it was never released as a as a soundtrack on its own. Yeah, um, strangely, it had a bonus track at the end of it, which was the theme for Iron Eagle Four. Yeah, <laughs> uh, out of all one, the uh, Iron Eagle movies, track, number four, uh, One Vision. Um, yeah, was the only song that didn't appear on the on the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the reason for that apparently was that uh, because of the difference in American release and UK release. Yeah. So they didn't want to release um, an album in America um, that was a soundtrack if the, they, they then weren't allowed to release it in the UK as, yeah. as, um, as you know, at the same time. Yeah. So they um, so they opted to release it as their own album, A Kind of Magic, which yeah. is now one... Well, I think it's the best Queen album that yeah. exists. I mean, I got a bit of a soft spot for Queen, Anyway, I always have, but um, I was in the musical We Will Rock You. Um, oh, wow. I played um, I played Khashoggi, who was like the villain, and I got to sing It's a Kind of Magic, which is really fucking hard. Oh, yeah. like It's, it's not really a- hard. Really, really hard. And I mean, I can eat, I still to this day, I still know the harmony lines um, because it's just like burned into my brain. Oh, but, yeah. But, but, but it fits so well. And they got the other great, op- the, the, the opening credits, actually, as Princes of the Universe. Oh yes. Which is a which was never released. It was never released as a single. It was just what. Well, they did fuck. release a music video for it. I think. Yeah. Star Christopher Lambert. Yeah. I honestly thought that was a lie for years. Someone told me about it, and I thought, Nah, no way. There's no way. I, you know. And then it it surfaced like. Yeah. You know. I mean, this is back in the days where you couldn't just go and find a music video. Yeah. You know, like. Um, but when YouTube and stuff came around, I was, that was the first thing I looked for. Was this, <laughs> bloody, uh, this Princes of the Universe video. Great song. Um, and, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to pick a bad song on that album. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Every, like, it's so strange that one of, one of probably the best albums ever written is all about the, the, the Immortals. Yeah. Like, from Highlander. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. such a bizarre thing that so few people know. Like, unless you know the film, yeah, and you know, yeah. um, then a lot of people just listen to Kind of Magic and think, "Oh, what a great, what a great album." Well, here's a really, really, really scary thought. Who was also approached? Which band? Which prog rock band was approached to do the soundtrack? Oh, I don't know. I'll give you a clue: Lavender's Blue, Dilly Dilly. Lavender's green, dilly dilly. No idea. Marillion. Marillion were asked. No. Yeah, Marillion were approached to do the sound. Fish from Marillion. That would have that would have been terrible. It would have been terrifying. It would have just how, how, on what planet would that have worked? Yeah, like I I can't imagine that. In a million years. I mean, especially now, because we have the film that exists. Yeah. With Queen being such an instrumental part of it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, but I mean, I think it goes to reflect how big this film really was when it came out. Like, yeah. um, I mean, because Queen were one of the biggest artists in the world. Yeah. At that time. Like, yeah. Um, you know, so they they didn't just lend themselves to anything, you know, yeah. I mean, I guess the Flash. Uh, yeah, did you? Did, yeah, did you spot the, the the Flash reference in this? No, in the Highlander. Yeah, in the in the Highlander, there's a scene where there's a Flash reference. Oh no, I don't. When think When you so. go into the first time you go into um, oh, what's the what's her name? The um, oh, she's the forensic. Uh, she's his lover. Brenda. Brenda's office. You go into Brenda's office, and then on the wall where they've got like the radiation sign, it's actually the Flash lightning bolt. No, yeah. I've, never, I've never noticed that before. Yeah. Right, well, I mean, that's what I'm doing for the rest of the day. But it's like you go you, when you look at it, you go in, it's flash, it's flash, flash. Oh, which you know, I have never noticed. Yeah, well, if I have, I've never made the correlation, I guess. I only did that, um, I only picked up on it last night, and I got very, very I geeked out a little bit, and my wife sort of looked at me as if to say. All right, enough now. You've had way too much sun during the day. Let's <laughs> get another Puritan in you. <laughs> Let's simmer you down a bit. You're all... <laughs> yeah. Go with it. Go with it. Go to the light. Um, <laughs> now, one of the things as well that I love is the sparks flying off the swords. Yeah. Do you, one so of the... I've read about this. Well, yeah. attached to a car battery. They were like honestly, I've sat, I've spent too much of my life thinking about this. To be honest, um, how how did that happen and nobody got hurt? Yeah. Like, um, although I mean, I did read that a lot of people did get hurt um, because yeah. Christopher Lambert is like blind as a bat without his glasses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he'd be sword fighting and he'd just be taking people's fingers off, <laughs> you know, whacking them in the hands and all this, you know. But the car batteries, yeah, so they had the swords hooked up to car batteries yeah. so that when they hit them together, they'd spark. Yeah. So I'm guessing they had some kind of rubber handle. Again, I think about this way too much. Um, I'm guessing they had some kind of rubber handles. You'd but hope. still, You'd like hope. imagine just someone doesn't, not thinking and putting their hand on these bloody... Yeah. Electrified swords. Would what would happen? I'd, I'd bang. I don't know because you wouldn't be you wouldn't be earthed. You wouldn't be earthed. So what yeah. would happen is the essentially what creates the spark is you'd have one was connected to the positive part yeah. of the car battery and you had the other part connected to the negative. So when they would clash, it would create an arc. All oh, right, I'm with you. So yeah. it would create an arc. The only so essentially, I mean, it wouldn't be too. It's relatively, he says relatively when you're fucking about with electricity. Um, however, that poor, you know, the, the prop guy just collecting things round at the end of it all, just picking the two of them up together and putting them there, could yeah. have quite easily gone up right. with a all right. smoke. I mean, the, the way that I read it described is that he just basically fucking plugged a car battery up to the, to each sword. And was yeah. like, no, they would, if, if, if they had the pair of them, I mean, that would have been It'd immense. Be glowing, yeah, you know, yeah, I guess. All right, see, that makes more sense. Yeah, um, wasn't described very well in the uh, in the article that I read about it. Um, no. So yeah, that makes more sense. Well, I can just imagine Christopher Lambert blind as a bat walking around with a yeah, electrified just... sword, <laughs> touching people. I'm sorry, you're dead. Oh, I'm sorry, I've killed you. <laughs> now, the one thing with uh, another thing about Christopher Lambert being blind 
is there's a scene where he rides you no know, in when they, they sort of you get you, in the it's the sequence with um who wants to live forever is playing and he like rides over the hill on his horse and it's probably one of the less most one of the least technically demanding scenes in the entire film so he sort of he goes up over the hill however they had to do numerous takes over and over and over again because he kept forgetting to take his glasses off <laughs> so out of everything in this him riding over a hill because he'd keep his glasses on so you could see where he was going and then before they come over the hill he was supposed to take them off but he'd forget to take his glasses off so every time in this sort of you know medieval highlands of scotland this guy appears with his uh should have gone to Specsavers look on on his horse which is uh you know amazing yeah and i mean what again in terms of scenes what a really touching scene Oh yeah, like yeah. it's a. Uh, I mean the that the romantic element of it is. Uh, I, I, I mean I can only think of one film that really ever does that kind of thing better, yeah. and that's the Terminator. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, and I think. I mean, like, romance in movies generally turns me off. Like I'm like, oh come on. Yeah. Get on with get on with your battery powered sword, you know. <laughs> um, but in this film, I really think that it's one of the elements that works so 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 well. Um, you know, um, because it treats it like a real relationship. In fact, it treats all of his relationships like real relationships. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's the little girl called Rachel. We go into that as well. Yeah. And it treats their relationship romantically but in a different way do you absolutely. know what i mean like absolutely. you know like she she's his child that then becomes almost his carer as she becomes yeah. older you yeah. know yeah. um well there's there's still that kind of romantic that romantic feel about that yes. because of how timeless that relationship is yeah um and um you know it's the same with his scottish bride and then eventually yeah. with brenda yeah and it just treats it all i mean it does have that cliche thing that all eighties and mid nineties up to the mid nineties films had, which is where you have to have your lead guy butt naked, yes, banging, banging some chick, <laughs> like the, the you know, gratuitous ass shot. Yeah, there's always some curly haired chick that kind of you know like, yeah. Um, yeah. and you know some blue lighting <laughs> through the windows, you know, and close ups of sweaty bodies, and yeah. it's just. And and then sudden, because what's so weird is that that suddenly just overnight almost just went away. Yeah, and I think I think actually the one thing that really sort of finally put the put the nail in the in that sort of coffin was the basic was basic instinct, and yeah. then the sort of um, the Madonna film Body of Inno- Innocence. Um, which resembled something more that you'd find sort of late night on movies for men. Yeah. That would sort of usually involve some kind of detective, you know. And it's that sort of, like I said, blue lighting, bit of Kenny G in the background. Um, and yeah. that, it, it, it almost becomes a cliche, doesn't it? And that's, I, but I, like, I don't know whether I miss it or not. Do you know what I mean? Like that element of movie. It doesn't really serve any purpose, does it? No, I, I mean it always felt like it was a vanity thing that was insisted by actors. Yes, I thought. You know what I mean? Like, I'll do it if you give me like a sex scene with a hot broad kind yes. of like, you know, because I, I mean, 
let's be honest, that's the way that Hollywood operated for a, yeah. for a great many years. So I think yeah. I yeah. always I always feel like that's what that was about. Um, yeah. However, there's think... a brilliant story about Michael Douglas having an absolute shit fit um, about being concerned about being naked and having the butt shot in um, Basic Instinct because he was getting old and he was concerned about his ass looking wobbly while he was walking away from camera. <laughs> Did they get a body double? No, no. Paul Verhoeven made him do it. And the only reason he oh, said right. that he'd do it was if he stripped I naked mean, as well. Paul Verhoeven's a fame for that kind of thing, oh, wasn't he? Just, he I wanted mean... everybody. Did you, uh, on Starship Troopers, Yeah. He, uh, everyone was complaining that the shower scene was quite gratuitous. Yeah. So we took off all his own clothes and yeah. went in and was like, come on, let's get it done. <laughs> it's the you fact, know. yeah. And like... Um... I mean, lots of his stuff is like, holy shit. I mean, Flesh and Blood is one of my favourite films with Ritger Hauer, Paul Verhoeven film. Um, and that's set. I don't think I've seen it. No. Oh, it's brilliant. But again, you watch it, you're like, holy shit. Okay, simmer down. It's it's it's, it's really full on. It's really full on. It's worth watching. It's, right, well, um, that's going on my list today. A bit of sword and sauce, a bit of sword and sandalies or sword and muck. Really, um, but it's well worth it. It's definitely well worth it. Um, but yeah, you are right. That sort of the the um, the um, the sort of imp- you know the sex scene that's always sort of the sort of the sort of pre opener to the final act of the film, really, isn't it? Yeah, you know that's there. Um, but what's interesting though, they never really explain in this film, even though they're all immortal, they never really explain how it works. Well, I mean, this leads me on to one of my favourite subjects of Highlander. Ah. Is the sequels to Highlander. Oh. <laughs> ah. <clears throat> which constantly try to do that. So, yeah. um, the reason the second film even exists is because everyone wanted to know where the Immortals came from. Yeah. Um, so, the, um, I think Russell, uh, Russell Mulcahy uh, literally said... It's the fans' fault that Highlander Two exists. <laughs> like blame them because they wanted to know where the Immortals came from. They wanted their origin, yeah. so we told them, and then they didn't like it. You know, <laughs> it, it was basically his his kind of outlook on it. Um, and but I mean, I guess that's very true. So in Highlander Two, for people who haven't seen it, they the quickening. Um, they uh, decided that. The immortals were actually aliens from space. Yes, and that they were not. They aged normally until they came to to Earth. But if they killed all of their kind on Earth, then they became human, unless someone from their planet came back to our planet. In which case, they could kill them and become immortal again until they killed everyone on there. And that is almost dialogue, <laughs> word for word. From Highlander <laughs> 2. Do they also explain the giant plot hole? Um, that why don't they know that they're not immortal? So because like Conor McLeod has no idea that he's immortal. Um, well, I think. See, I never watched the series, but I do believe that that touches on that a little bit more. Yeah, I couldn't get the grips of the TV series. Well, it was really difficult in the United Kingdom because. They showed it kind of like late night. Yeah. But never at the same time. So you were battling to try and watch it. Um, yeah. 
So as a result, I managed to get a few episodes on VHS when I was younger. Yeah. But um, then they stopped releasing those as well. So, you know, uh, you got the odd episode here and there. It was like uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel, wasn't it, for a, while, for a long uh, it time? It was on ITV horror... during terrestrial days. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it might have been on Sci-Fi as well. Um, but I remember it being on like half past one in the morning sometimes on uh, on ITV. But then suddenly it wouldn't be. It would be on at like four o'clock or two o'clock or, you know, it couldn't, it could never decide. Yeah. And that went on for like five years. Yeah. Um, where they just didn't know where, where to put it or what to do with it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, uh, I mean, for all for all kind of uh, by all accounts, it, you know, it was um, it was pretty well done as far as I understand. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that that explains that some of them know that they're immortals before they before it happens. And stuff, yeah. I think. Um, Highlander Endgame. I'm jumping. A, I'm jumping a sequel here. So Highlander Four Endgame. Yeah. Um, was uh, was from the TV show. Yes. That, it was a continuation of the TV show directly. So in terms of the canon continuity, I believe that it goes the movie, the series, Highlander Endgame, and that's the official continuity. Right. Um, okay. And I think Highlander 2 and Highlander The Final Dimension, a.k.a. The Sorcerer, <laughs> a.k.a. Highlander 3, the final dimension, aka Highlander Three, the Sorcerer. Um, <laughs> That's got Mario Van Peebles in it, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And I was just talking about this the other day. Uh, my, one of my close friends runs the Highlander Heart fan club. Yeah, um, yeah. So we, we were talking about Highlander um, the other day, and I was I was talking about how just how good Mario Van Peebles is as a bad guy. Yeah, Highlander Three. Um, and I think everyone thought Mario Van Peebles should be like this action hero, and they kept trying to yeah. force that through yeah. the kind of early nineties. And it wasn't until um, Highlander Three came out that they kind of went, "Oh right, no, he's he's like a really good bad guy. Let's yeah. just do that with him," you know. Yeah. Um, so one thing I'll say about so not to do Christopher Lambert down, you know, <laughs> or I mean, if you're a Christopher Lambert fan like me, yeah, then you know that Christopher Lambert plays the same character in every film he's ever been in. Yes. Um, which is, I mean, not a bad thing, because like Schwarzenegger or Stallone, yeah. I watch Christopher Lambert films for Christopher Lambert. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, of course you do, of course you do. Uh, you know, no one watches Beowulf because they want to watch kind of <laughs> cheap, cheaply done CGI and badly built sets and yeah. stuff. They watch it because they want to watch Christopher Lambert yeah. saying stupid shit for an hour and a half yes. whilst fighting monsters and soldiers and you know. Or no one goes to watch Fortress because they want to see you know a well a well told prison yeah. escape futuristic prison escape drama. They go to see it because uh, they want to see Great Christopher film. Lambert breaking out of you know doing his thing. Saying his lines yeah. and breaking out of a futuristic prison. Yeah. I think Fortune is probably a bad example because it's genuinely yeah directed by. Stu- I mean, Stuart Gordon. I love. I love oh, yeah. Stuart Gordon. I think I would say that's fantastic. Probably his best film outside of Reanimator. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. There. Um, I think you're right there. Christopher Lambert. I think he plays the same. Arguably, plays the same character in every film. Yeah. So yeah. it's really difficult from Highlander to Highlander to really see a massive shift in his character or anything. 
Yeah. But what Highlander films have always done really, really well, I was saying this the other day, is they have the best... I fail to think of any other franchise that has bad guys that are this good. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, because you've got the Kurgan. Yeah. Clancy Brown in the first one, who is incredible. And he wanted to play that in like a bowler hat and like yeah. a suit. Weird, right? Really strange. Like, um, he didn't like the idea that um, that he was going to be this kind of punk rocking yeah. kind of Frankenstein. But I think that's the way it works. Oh, absolutely. Um, I love the fact he's got the safety pins hanging yeah, off his yeah. scar on his neck, which is just like, I'm fascinated, but I'm equally grossed out at the same time. Oh, yeah. It's the fact he like weirdly shaves his head, but like not quite properly. Yeah, he's he's proper punk. He's genuinely punk. Uh, but I mean, the, the franchise of Highlander in general yeah. does bad guys better than any other franchise I can think of. Mike, you've got Michael Ironside in the second one, um, and he's just he just fucking wipes the floor with everybody, yeah. even Sean Connery. Yeah, you know. Um, then Mario Van Peebles, like you know. Uh, I guess he was kind of like a straight-to-video action star. Yeah, when yeah. He was, but, but I mean, watch. I mean, Highlander Three is on quite often at the minute, so yeah. it's always on Sci-Fi in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, so if it's on, I'll watch it. You know, and Christ, this guy, Mario Van Peebles, like fucking wipes the floor with with everybody in that film he is incredible and if you watch any of those other films you would never think that he was capable of doing this yeah you know um but just the bad guy in highlander 3 is just immensely good and then highlander endgame you've got bruce payne um who was the bad guy in passenger 57 yes um he was in the Warlock and, films as well, some of the sequels. With Julie, yeah, well, he, was in the, he replaced uh, Julian Sands. Yeah, yeah. The, um, and, like, I grew up thinking that Bruce Payne was the quintessential bad guy. Yeah. So to look, have him as a bad guy in Highlander, um, and, like, his whole ethos in that film is, I don't care about the game, I don't care about the rules. Like... Giving that character to Bruce Payne, yeah, it like, is just he's so 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 good, yeah. And I think no matter what you take away from Highlander, what you know, which whatever they do with each iteration, every time you know that you're at least gonna get like an amazing bad guy, yeah, you know, um, and that's what they do flawlessly every time. And you also get the this there was an anime. Which I thought was really good. I haven't seen it for a long time. I haven't seen the the the, the anime, but there was an animated series. I haven't seen the animated series. I saw the anime, but I never saw. The, I haven't seen the series. So. Um, so the animated series. This is where Highlander kind of law is really weird. Yeah. So the movies split off into the TV show, which yeah. is Adrian Paul starring. Yeah. McLeod Legacy kind of yeah. thing. But the cartoons seem to take. Um the Highlander 2 alien thing and go, yeah. well, well, we'll have that then, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and so they went off and did that. There's a series, they did everything though. It has got like a series of action figures. I think it was like lunch boxes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it had everything that like a cartoon show had and it's pretty good. Like, and so 
I feel like Highlander 2 it gets a bad rap, as well it should. It's interesting, but a, a misstep, let's say. Yeah. Um, but, I do love how he blames it on the fans, and that's genius. That is absolute. Oh, yeah. It's your fault. <laughs> I take well, no responsibility. I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's worth watching just for how insane the film yeah. is. Like, yeah. um, but the fact that it's spun off into what I consider to be a very good yeah. animated series is, uh, it's worth it's worth the failure alone. Yes, I think, yeah. I, I mean, the, the other spin off as well. There's uh, Highlander Raven. Oh my god! I, I think I lasted about one season, maybe two seasons. Which I I've never come across except that I knew that it existed, and it's a it's a female McLeod. It was. I think she is. She might have had she's an passed appearance. away. She's passed away. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she was in. Um, she might have been in um, Highlander Endgame. I could be wrong though. Right. Uh, been, it has been a little while since I've seen that one, um, but. Yeah, I think it ran for. I'll, I can see the beauty of the internet is I yeah. can have a. So yeah, it ran. It did run. It ran for one series, um, but I mean, generally, uh, obviously, I'm involved a little bit in the fandom of Highlander. Uh, so I'm in a group where everyone just talks about Highlander in great depth. Um, but the fans of it generally um, enjoyed it, from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, I've never. I think I might have seen like the pilot episode was given away on the front of like a DVD magazine years yeah, ago, yeah, yeah. and I feel feel like I might have seen that. Um, but I don't remember it very well. No, she was. She didn't cross over into um into the movies, unfortunately. So IMDb tells me. Um, but uh, she yeah she was she she spun off from the um from the the initial show. Yeah. She was a character, but she was like. I think the story was that she was the oldest immortal, as from what I can remember. But then they see this is where the plot hole stuff really comes in. Yeah, because I think she. This is purely for memory, so anyone who's a Highlander fan can correct me. Um, she was a thousand years old, and she was the oldest immortal. That was the story, from what I can remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see um, where this is going. <laughs> so. Then suddenly a lot of kind of elements get thrown out because, like, I mean, the Sean Connery famously says, "From the dawn of time, we came, yeah. you know, like traveling silently through the ages." Um, yeah. So if that's the case, then how is she the oldest immortal at like a thousand years old? But I could be wrong, and the problem is I don't have my Highlander, my resident Highlander expert, yeah. on hand to, yeah. Uh, yeah. to. Uh, to to ask about that. I mean, so. it's, I mean, as a series, it's very, very. You know, it, it it's really it, it it's fans love it. it. I mean, it's got a real hardcore fan following, and um, it's it's sort of. I mean, there's been talk of remakes for this. There's been talks of reboots over the years. Um, I don't know how we, I don't know how I feel about that because I do kind of feel like it, it's sort of as a as an entity. Itself. I mean, this is, you know, again, like all great films. I mean, you can look at this in sort of, you know, you can really, really break it down. I mean, you can even go into like the idea of like you've got like um, your three central characters. You can even look at it from like uh, it's like Freudian in so many ways. You've got like um, you've got, you know, you've got Connor McLeod, who's like the ego. You've got Ramirez is like the super ego. You've got the Kurgan, who's the id. 
You know, you could really yeah. break, you could really get into those kind of depths. And equally, you could just think, this has got an amazing Queen soundtrack. There's people hitting each other with swords and cutting each other's heads off. And there's bolts of elect- electricity coming off them. Just looks really cool. Yeah, it does. It really does. Um, and I, honestly, I'm amazed that a film like Highlander, which feels like a mainstream art film almost, yeah, um, has had the legacy that it's had. Yeah. Um, considering, like you say, that it financially it did not do well. Yeah. You know, the fact that it has the legacy that... I, I do think... I think... I mean, personally, I'd like them to make anything rather than not make it. So... Yeah. Um, if if they did a remake, I've always said that they should correct the ultimate mistake and recast Ramirez with Christopher Lambert. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've always thought that Thomas Jane would make a very good Conor McLeod. Yeah. Do you know what? The the look, he, he, he is like a sort of cloned Christopher Lambert, isn't he? He, he is, is, yeah. He's that sort of... He does have that sort of uh, look about him. And they do sound a little bit alike. Yeah. They do sound a little bit alike, which is interesting because, of course, Lab- uh, you know, Christopher Lambert is French, of course. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I think that, I mean, I'd buy I that. Mean, what I'd like to see, I think, is those guys and explore, because we went from obviously like thousands of immortals or whatever to like four or five in Highlander. Yeah. What I'd really like to see is um like an exploration of that time in between yeah you know where obviously these people are picking each other off kind of yeah. one by one yeah uh, because obviously they sort of like narrow it down did you know it, it, that, which is ironic isn't it really when you think about it these are the people who are you know they live for you know they, they are immortal they cannot die but actually they're an endangered species yeah because they're just killing each other it's not, you know. I do think the Kurgan, when he finally sort of meets his end, and like you get the the demons flying out of him and everything, oh, yeah. it's it's very very and the and that you know instantly, don't you? When you look behind them and they got that massive glass, all those windows, you just think, yeah, they're gonna blow up at some point, they. Oh yeah, That's and good. like, I mean, it's uh, honestly like in terms of payoff for like a final battle. Yeah. The, you know, there can be only one explosion. Yeah. Like, it's probably, it, it probably defeats all of them, which is why why I put it above Terminator in my favourite films. Because although Terminator's got, you know, you've been terminated. Yeah. Botch. You know, like, that's good. Yeah. But it ain't no fucking, there can be only one <laughs> explosions. You know, like, every one of those all pains. the windows blow out. Yeah. Yeah, glorious. Yeah, which is uh, you know, and I my other you know one of my favorite. I love the fact that when uh, Ramirez and the Kurgan are fighting, they're knocking the building down. Yeah, the Kurgan is like chopping bits of the castle away. It's just all just to get, and you know, it's just to get that payoff shot, isn't it? Of yeah. that sort of that 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 staircase. And the beheading from a distance on the staircase, which is just brilliant. But this is what I'm talking about. Like most films, you'd have a fight in a castle and the bad guy would win, and yeah, you know, yeah. like, and that's the end of it, kind of thing. But like the fucking whole, the walls are yeah. coming down around them, you yeah. know, like during a thunderstorm. And it's just, 
the whole film it just gives that a little bit extra every time yeah. every single time it just gives you that little it goes this is great how can we make it just one one step more awesome yeah and every scene does that every single scene yeah um and that's why it's just so fucking good so we probably covered it anyway, but what are your highlights? What are your What are your highlights from from Highlander? The somebody says Highlander, the the bits that just go boom boom, they just jump out at you straight away. Uh, I, I mean, definitely Kurgan versus Ramirez. Yeah. Um, the scene I always think of is where he first comes to the hotel, um, and he's like, well, you know, there's a yeah, guy, yeah, what, what, buddy. Get the hell out of here! And he shows them money. He goes, oh, well, you know, anything that can get you, you just call, you know. Yeah. You want to blow, blow down? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and then he goes up to the room and he opens the case and he's got this huge kind of like broadsword yeah. in pieces. Yeah. Just starts clicking this sword together. Yeah. And then this prostitute comes in and she's like, hi, I'm Candy. And he goes, yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> like, and it's just perfect. Like the whole, that whole sequence just sums up that character like i love the conversation afterwards that the guy behind the counter says to me he said you had a good time with candy Uh, i heard you were a bit uh kinky and there's that moment where you go right if the coogan is kinky what the fuck went on in that room (laughs) forget your blue light yeah (laughs) that must have been horrific for everyone oh, I involved. Well, I mean, that's this is it, you know what I mean? I mean, after that, he kind of comes out, like, fucking, with yeah. his head off, shaved yeah. off. <laughs> you think, well, what the fuck happened in there? You know what I mean? Like, but I just, that that moment, it, the, the, the frame, like, it's just the way that yeah. it's shot and framed and everything yeah. Yeah. Um, with kind of split diopters to have, you know, like, he's in focus in the foreground and yeah. she's in the background. Yeah. And it's just... There's something that feels so like independent film about it. Something that you wouldn't ever see in yeah. like a mainstream movie again. That just is suddenly in the middle of this film. Yeah. I mean, but also that the fight um, is it the, the top of the silver cup. I don't know. Oh anymore. yeah, it's the silver cup. Yeah, it's silver cup studios. Yeah. Um, is oh, like so so good like um like really really iconic stuff yeah but also there's like weird bits in it that i just really like like where she sat at a bar alone and he just walks up to her she's been following around yeah yeah serial killer and he comes up to her and goes i'd like to walk you home brenda (laughs) and she's like okay like (laughs) and you're like what and it's just weird 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 stuff like that Um, how dirty his mac is his overcoat oh, yeah. is, is filthy. Well, he always... I mean, Christopher Lambert always looks a bit mucky. I think it's the way his, his yeah, facial yeah. hair grows. He always looks like he's just been <laughs> patting himself down with a bit, you know... Bit just of dust. Been out in the desert for a bit, just patting himself <laughs> down, you know, like... Um, but also, my favourite, favourite bit, I think, is the Nazi bit. Yeah. Where he gets shot and he covers the girl up. Yeah, and he stands up, and the guy's like, "Why well, you should be dead, you know." Yeah. And he goes, um, "He takes the gun off him, and he goes nine nine, and he goes, whatever you say, Jack, you're the master race.' <laughs> and it's just glorious. And he shoots him, you know. Yeah. It's, but it's the timing of it and everything, like yeah. And I mean, considering you like, know, he does, you know, obviously 
one of the things that one of the bits of trivia from this was that he learned to speak English specifically for the role. Yeah. And but his timing is so good. His timing is so good. And you do, you know, I mean, there are a few clunkers in there, you know, whenever he said, whenever he refers to it, you know, as Blossom, it's like, uh, okay, okay. Anything with his, with his Scottish accent is not, is not good. Like, (laughs) let's just be clear, you know, like again, Christopher Lambert is probably my favorite actor of all time, but he can't, he can't do that like yeah. it's just um even when he's like i'll bloody well walk out of here yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not it's not well delivered if anything it's so badly delivered that yeah. you go that's ah, good that's yeah. a memorable line he's, he's you know got that he's yeah he's got that <clears throat> do you know that scene was one of the scenes that got cut on his initial release was it was one of the most heavily uh, cut scenes oh well what do you know why because the guy sticks the head in him Really? That's the reason. Because the guy is like repeatedly headbutted him. That was the reason why he got cut. That's but, well. See, obviously, I didn't discover Highlander till probably the the ninety ninety one. I think yeah. it was around the time Highlander two was coming out. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I yeah, I just wouldn't have had any idea about theatrical cutting or or anything like that. You yeah, know. they cut it because of the scene where he was like, because the guy sticks the head in him about three times. And he's like yeah. stood there smiling at him with his like wild Highlander hair, um, but yeah, that, that's one of the reasons. And they also, the, I tell you, the other uh, uh, person who fell foul of that was Ewan McGregor in the Phantom Menace. There's a scene oh, yeah. where he head where in a lightsaber fight he headbutts a droid, um, and that was uh, that had to be removed. I did not know that uh, the the uh, ratings board had such a problem with. You can lop any you can lop somebody's head off. You can show gratuitous male ass, but you cannot headbutt anyone. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I have this problem all the time. Like you know, where you can I can behead someone with a cheese wire, you know, or chop them up, you know, chop them in half via the <laughs> genitals, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I can do all that. Fifteen. I say fuck a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know. Like, I, I think one of our last films, I, it got an 18 rating and I was like, what, what, I don't understand. Like, the last one we released, like yeah. like I say, literally, like, we, a girl got chopped in half from, you know, yeah. the V to the H. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, um, you know, and I thought, that'll get us an 18 rating for sure. No, nope, didn't care. But three, three characters say fuck in a row. Yeah. Um, in Pandemonium and uh, BBFC came down heavy on me. They, they threw the hammer of justice at me. Well, it's like, it's like the classic line in it from um, in South Park, the movie. We are happy to have gratuitous violence on our screen, but you cannot say naughty words. Yeah, this is it, yeah. And that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, oh, that's awesome, man. So used, I, I think I know where this is going. Obviously, what's the scores on the doors for Highlander? Out of, uh, out of ten, one you know, obviously one million. Oh, no, it's hundred. It's a ten. It's a ten. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, there's very, there's you know, there's very few films that I would give a ten, but yeah, um, that is definitely one of them. Like to me, even its imperfections are per, like are what make it so perfect. Like, yeah. um, it's a you know, it's um, 
it's almost impossible to remake that film because oh, it's just perfection um, in terms of what it is. Like, yeah. I don't think you could make that film any better by by doing anything differently. I think it's it's a perfect. It's. I mean, I think the legacy that it's had in terms of spin-offs and sequels and cartoons and TV shows and magazines and you know um, is a testament just to how much of lightning in a bottle it was. You know, it's up there with yeah. Ghostbusters and yeah. uh, you know, in ter- and Back to the Future in terms of just. Yeah all the right elements coming together at the right time to make something like so unique. Like, I, th- I don't think it could have been made in any other period than the eighties though. No, I no. don't think I don't, it is like, and I, I mean, even down, you know, the soundtrack, the feel of it. Um, but at the same time, it's very, very, it's, it's way ahead of its time. It's way ahead of its time. Way ahead yeah, of its time. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you've got to remember that it also kind of, sparked it changed the way that we people looked at fantasy from, from oh, that yeah. moment, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um and I think I think it's it sold a lot of seeds for what we for the kind of stuff that we see now. Absolutely I mean you know even if you go and look at some of the Marvel stuff now there's definitely if it, I don't think you could have you'd see a lot of stuff in there that you know you'd see from Highlander. That yeah. you know, is in you know, there is that inspira- there's the direct inspiration there that it, it you know, it, it's 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 created so much. I mean, you know, it, it, for me, it's like it's an eight. It's an eight out of ten. I love this film. I love the sound. I love everything. I don't think it's perfect in any way, shape, or form. But there is something about this film that always draws you back, and you just sort of it. It never. It's never boring. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of films out there that sort of people think are classics that are fucking boring. Um, absolutely, just just. Uh. And you could, yeah, I think that's the one thing you can never accuse this film of is if if there's if there's a bold move to be made, yeah, it will make it. Yes, you know, um, absolutely. And that, like that, but I think like I mean, this film forged like my personality as a child. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it did, it, it, like. There's so much of this film that's like who I am, you yeah. know. Um, now, so I think that's why I always, always rate it so high is yeah. because um, it because it, it taught me so much about so many different things. But as, as a as a as a filmmaker, it also taught me oh. like about you know, truly making bold choices and yeah. being unapologetic about that. And I think um, I think so that, that for me that's why I always rate it so high. And I think as a film, it certainly subscribes to the theory of go big or go home. Yeah. It's, you know, because there's nothing in this that you could say is sort of, is everything, they everything is, if they got everything, even the actors, the actors, the cinematography, the lighting, the action, everything is a hundred miles an hour. They just go for it. And, yeah. and none of it is like that sly nod to the wink to the camera or anything else. It's everybody's playing it straight. And it's, you know, you think about, you know, the storyline is mental. It's bonkers. But it works. It works. Yeah. And like I say, I mean, it's, it's like, it makes no, it doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> the second you think about it, you go, well, hang on a second. Hang on now. Where the, but isn't he, there isn't it? But okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to go with it. Well, yeah, I mean, the set, the, the film just kind of does say to you from the beginning, just, you know, just, you know, yeah, 
get on the ride and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Now, my friend, you have got a couple of films due out soon. Where can the good people find them? Right, okay. Well, we actually, yeah. So um, I have a film out tomorrow in the US of A. Fantastic. Um, called Pandemonium. So that's uh, out in Walmart and on various digital sites, etc. Um so, I mean, it, it's hard for me to, to know exactly where. Yeah, yeah. It, it's in, like, Target. And, uh, I mean, I don't even know what's open in a minute because America's having uh, its own version of Pandemonium yeah, right now. It's, it's, so yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, um, so if you, if the shop, if it hasn't already been stolen or looted or set on fire, <laughs> I uh, it'll be available in shops, shops. tomorrow. Um, you know. Um, but just to be straight, I completely agree with, you know, uh, yes. the, the protests out there, um, even if it does affect my movie release, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, um, you know, better that than, uh, you know, than the, the injustice carries on, I think. I um, but if 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 your area is not affected <laughs> and you're from the US, yeah, you can buy it in Walmart and it's all available digitally and, and all that. Um, tomorrow it's called Pandemonium. It's about... Um, a uh, serial killer who wears uh, with a pa- with a giant panda head, um, who uh, has a uh, um, who has a, a fetish for murdering uh, strippers. Um, there we are. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, it, as people say, it pretty much does what it says on the tin. Um, and then to- today, we have a. Just got an early release, so it's had an early release today on iTunes. A film called *The Haunting of Molly Bannister*, um, which is a film we made on very little money a couple of years ago. Um, like when I say very little, I mean like nothing. Um, <laughs> but that got released today on iTunes um, digitally, and it's out on DVD on the on UK DVD on the twenty second of um, of June. Fantastic. Um, so you can get that in HMV and Asda and Tesco and on on Amazon and yeah, you know yeah. all places you can buy stuff if you're allowed out of the house. So it's not a good time for filmmakers who have DVDs out in shops because yeah. <laughs> uh, no one's allowed to bloody go anywhere. So, so um, where else can the good people find you on the old uh, social media and on the interwebs? So obviously we're on um, we're on Facebook. Um, if you type in Myco. Um, M-Y-C-H-O you should find us on Facebook and stuff uh, but we're also uh, we have a website uh, myco.co.uk that's M-Y-C-H-O .co.uk uh, we also have a monthly uh, subscription service called pa- on Patreon uh, myco.com slash Patreon where we do podcasts with actors from the various films um, and we do short films that kind of expand on the films that we've made and um, so they're all kind of exclusive to subscribers of that um but on twitter um uh, with various handles um michael pictures is our main one um we're everywhere i guess we're all over the place uh whether you want us to be or not there we are <laughs> thinking on the internet yeah <laughs> mj thank you so much for being on man it's always a pleasure no love problem. to have you back on again soon man you take absolutely. care absolutely anytime thanks you very much Till now, man bye Once again, I want to say a massive, massive thank you to MJ for being on. I really appreciate it. Look, guys, he's got. you need to get over to his website. It's awesome. There are some fantastic things on there. We're talking film, 
comic book, podcast, you name it, it is all on there. So get yourselves over there. And also, The Haunting of Molly Bannister is out um, on iTunes, so go over and check out that one. Um, he's got his newest film, Pandemonium, coming out, which I've had a sneaky little look at, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys. My review of that on the show very, very soon. Honestly, go over there and support independent filmmaking and especially independent horror so ladies and gentlemen there's no what the Wookiee watched on this episode because i gotta be honest with you guys i have been flat out i'm working on a couple little things at the moment which i can't wait to share with you guys in the future however just because they've eased all the lockdown a little bit remember stay safe wash your hands keep the social distancing going And please, please be kind to each other. Look after each other. So, ladies and gentlemen, in the immortal words of Count Duckula, good night out there, whatever you are. (laughs) 